All right. Well, thank you for uh, sticking around. Uh, let's commit uh, the meeting to the Lord in prayer, and, and I'll go ahead and start, okay? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, for the opportunity to come aside from uh, the busyness of the week and, and meet around the table virtually as we did, uh, thinking about you and what it is that you have done for us. And as we uh, now look into your word to seek to understand what uh, this passage has to teach us, we pray that you, you help me with uh, the delivery and that you work in every person's heart to encourage them also with your word. And if there's anyone who, who doesn't know you, hasn't put their faith in you, we ask that uh, you might use this message for their encouragement as well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, so as uh, usual, I'd like to start the message with a question. And the question today is, is it important to get the answer for every question right? Is it important to get the answer for every question right? Uh, my daughter, Nessia, uh, a couple days ago took a test uh, for her uh, piano. Uh, it's, I, as I understand it, it's a theory test. And uh, if she remembers correctly, there were 80 questions. There were 80 questions on the test. And uh, to pass the test, she needs to get something like uh, 70%. Uh, which means uh, she could actually afford to miss about 20 questions out of uh, the 80 questions she had to take. So it was a little less stressful. You get to a question that's a little bit difficult. You, you take a stab at it. You make your best guess. And, uh, and if you miss that question, it's okay because there's a lot of other questions, and as long as you get most of them right, you, you did fine. But that is not the case. Uh, for every question, uh, there are questions uh, on which uh, your, your life, in fact, your eternity depends on how you answer uh, certain questions. And uh, today we will see one of those questions that you have to get right. This is a question you cannot afford to get wrong. So let's look at the passage and think a bit about the, this question. So this is, uh, by the way, Matthew uh, chapter 16, uh, and we'll start at verse uh, 13. By way of reference, if you remember, Matt spoke last week about uh, uh, Jesus being approached by the religious leaders, and uh, they asked Jesus for a sign, and Jesus said, uh, a uh, wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And it says then that Jesus left them uh, and departed. And uh, that's, that would be good to keep in mind because we're, we're going to be seeing a transition happening. It's going to be more obvious in the coming weeks, but already in this passage we will be able to tell that uh, Jesus' ministry has, has taken a, a new note to it. Uh, he is more or less done with um, presenting himself as Israel's Messiah um, because he's, he's, uh, he has been rejected. And now he is really going to get focused on thinking about the cross, the path before him that will lead him uh, to the cross. And one of the things he has to consider is his disciples, 
uh, that he, he, he has gathered. He has these uh, 12 men following him, and, uh, and he is preparing them to, to take over the job, if you would, as he, he will uh, be crucified. He will rise again from the dead, but then he will go to sit at his, at his father's side, and these are the men who will continue the work in his absence. And so... Uh, Jesus is becoming more and more focused on his disciples and preparing them for that time. And we will see that uh, coming out clearly in this passage today. So Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So what is the question? What is the question that you must get right? Jesus says, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? When uh, I work, part of my job, a big part of my job is meetings. My kids uh, sometimes are curious when I stay home, and all I do is, is uh, when I'm working from home and I'm just talking to people, uh, over my computer, we have something called um, a Microsoft Teams. It's kind of like Zoom, if you would, like what we're using here, but it's a bit more professional. And uh, one of the things you can do in Microsoft Teams uh, is you can click on the people. So you, you might see a, a list of people, uh, depending how you have your screen set up, uh, or you, know, you could see a face and then you don't... You don't uh, need to necessarily look at the list of the people who are in the meeting. Um, and you know us, so you don't, you don't need to do this. But let's say you were in a meeting and you didn't know one or more of the people there. So in, in Microsoft Teams, you can click on the picture of the person or the name of the person, and it will tell you who they are in the company. So I work for a company called LumiLeds. And it will tell you their position. They may, may be a technician. I sometimes have meetings, and I'll be talking to technicians. Or they might be um, an engineer. I'm an engineer. Or they could be a manager. Or they could even go higher. They can be a director. Or they could be a vice president. Or they can be the CEO. Now, the CEO I know, so I wouldn't have to click on that button. But sometimes I'm with people I don't know. And I will want to know what their position is in the company. So there may be like 10 people in the meeting. Well, what a technician or even an engineer might say in the meeting 
would be less important than what a manager or a director will say in the meeting. Uh, because they carry more weight in the company. They might be the kind of person that can make the final decision and might say, you know, this product that we're working on really is not, uh, is not worth the time, the money we're spending on it. We're going to kill the project. Uh, or they might say, okay, this is a really interesting result. This is really worthwhile to pursue. And uh, let's do some more experiments or let's invest more money into it. Because of their position, they can make that, that kind of a call. And so it's a value to me when I'm interacting with them to know who they are. Uh, so in this case, Jesus is saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am, is important because who you think Jesus is will affect how you relate to him. And uh, Jesus says this, in uh, John 8, um, John 8, verse 21, Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Which is appropriate for where we are right now, because clearly the nation of Israel was rejecting Jesus, and now Jesus really was going to go away. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. You can tell they just don't understand because they don't understand who Jesus is. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. So this is very serious. Jesus says, if you don't know who I am, then you will die in your sins. Uh, we're all sinners. We're all separated from God. But Jesus came to change that. He came to save us from our sins. But if we don't know who Jesus is, he cannot help us. He cannot help us. So that's why... This is such an important question. Now, often when uh, you take a test these days, uh, they give you uh, multiple choice answers, right? <clears throat> Which means there'll be a list of potential answers uh, to the question, and typically they're all wrong except for one. Now, sometimes they have one at the bottom says like all of the above, so they can all be right, <laughs> but you have to pick the all of the above because that's the only one that's really right because it includes all of them. Anyways, so there's a list of answers. Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And it seems that there's different opinions. Uh, they said, some say John the Baptist. Some thought Jesus was actually John the Baptist. We saw that a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a couple of months ago, Herod was one of those people. Uh, Herod the Tetrach, he was guilty of executing John the Baptist. And when shortly after that he heard about Jesus and his miracles, he said, oh, it must be John the Baptist risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Now, whoever thinks that is somewhat uninformed because Jesus and John were contemporaries. In fact, John the Baptist baptized Jesus in, in the Jordan, and that's when Jesus was 
announced by God the Father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So they can't be the same person. And, um, and, but that's the reality. People are often uninformed about Jesus. Uh, if you came and asked me uh, who Jesus was 30 years ago, I just didn't know. I remember uh, my dad pointed to a, a license plate inside, in front of us as we were driving down the freeway. My dad was driving. I was uh, shotgun. And uh, there was a license plate on a car in front of us that said, Jesus saves. And my dad asked me, do you know what that means? And I said, well, maybe Jesus helps you save money. I mean, that's really what I thought. I was so uninformed about who Jesus was and what, uh, what Jesus offered. Uh, being raised, I was told that Jesus was basically uh, a religious teacher, and uh, he uh, taught things that were contradictory to Judaism, and therefore we Jews didn't listen to what he said, but we, that's what I was taught growing up. I was just uninformed about Jesus. And so these are people who were somehow uninformed about Jesus saying, well, he must be John the Baptist, or maybe he's John the Baptist. Some Elijah. So Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. Uh, to the credit of those who thought Jesus was Elijah, there is a prophecy in the Old Testament about God sending Elijah uh, before uh, God himself was going to come uh, to judge or redeem Israel. So maybe there's some grounds. Now, again, uh, that's, that, was, that would be a wrong answer. That's not one of the correct answers. And actually, John the Baptist was a fulfillment of Elijah because he came to prepare the way for Jesus. So that would be another incorrect answer. <clears throat> Others uh, said Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's interesting that, uh, so again, these would be Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah was one of the Old Testament prophets. Some people point out that it's interesting people suggested Jeremiah because Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was the one who was in Jerusalem in the final days as God brought upon them the judgment. He promised them for all these years. Jeremiah was the one who actually got to see Jerusalem destroyed. And he was known as the weeping prophet because he wept over Israel's the catastrophe uh, that came upon uh, Jerusalem. And uh, so people suggested, well, maybe Jesus was a prophet, or Jesus during his ministry wept a lot. He was weeping over people because of the catastrophe that was coming upon them when they would reject him. Uh, there is a passage later on in Matthew where Jesus will weep himself over Jerusalem, saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kills the prophets. If you had known the day that, that uh, your salvation came to you, I am your salvation, uh, you know, it would have spared you from the judgment that you will now experience. So we can appreciate those who thought that Jesus was Jeremiah, perhaps because he was weeping, but that again is the wrong answer. What about today? What would people today say about Jesus. I already told you that I was raised to say, to think that he was, or taught that he was a religious uh, teacher. Here's a good uh, excerpt from C.S. Lewis. Most of you would know C.S. Lewis as a writer of uh, 
children's books like Narnia. But uh, he was also an apologist, and he wrote a lot of books about uh, Christianity. In one of them, he says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. So he was dealing with this question, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that Jesus is? And C.S. Lewis was trying to help people not choose the wrong answer in this multiple choice test. Uh, so what people would say is this, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was a, merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with many patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And the logic that C.S. Lewis is pointing out is Jesus claimed to be God, as he does very clearly in this passage. And so to say that Jesus was a great moral teacher uh, would be contradictory with that. If he was a great teacher, he would only teach the truth. So if he taught that he was God and he was not God, he would either be mad or he would be a liar or he would be Lord if he is really who he says he is. Okay, what is the correct answer? So after the disciples tell Jesus the answers that others gave, uh, he said to them, Jesus is asking his own disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the correct answer. So if you have your A, B, C, D, E, the answer is E. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. What does that mean? Christ uh, is the Greek word for Messiah, which simply means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, uh, God had uh, people who had uh, an important service uh, anointed. So the priests, the high priests were anointed. Uh, the kings were anointed. The prophets were anointed. It basically set them apart for the specific purpose that God had for them. So the Messiah was the person whom God set apart for the purpose of saving primarily the nation of Israel, but as we saw, because of his mercy to the Gentiles, really for the whole world. 
He is set apart for that specific purpose of saving you and me from sin and death and hell. That is who Jesus is. He is also the son of the living God. And uh, as the son of the living God, he is one that has the authority or the power to actually save us. So if Jesus had the purpose, he came with the purpose of saving us, but he had not the power to save us, he couldn't save us. Or if he had the power to save us, but he didn't come with the purpose of saving us, again, we couldn't trust in him to save us. But because he had both the purpose and the power, we can believe on him as our savior. John 5, 24 says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So Jesus came both with the purpose and with the power to save us from our sins. Do you want to be an A student? My, my daughters like being A students. They like getting A's. I liked getting A's when uh, I could. I didn't always get them. But uh, there's, a, there's a certain uh, privilege or responsibility or blessing of being an A student. Jesus here gives those high marks to Peter. Peter volunteered to answer Jesus' question, and he got it right. And so Jesus, you could say, in a sense, rewards Peter uh, in this passage. But uh, it's important we don't apply it just to Peter. This is a mistake that was done in history uh, by the Catholic Church. They try to claim that these specific blessings that come from being an A student uh, belong to Peter, and Peter somehow bequeathed them to someone after him, and he kept passing along that blessing, and somehow the Pope inherited it, and somehow... These blessings belong only to the Pope. Uh, that is not true. It's really Peter here is taking the example uh, as a person who was willing to, uh, to step forward and give the correct answer. He represents all of us too, who, have, uh, who can give the correct answer to the question, who do you say that I am? So let's see what are these blessings that come along with being an A student. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The first blessing that comes with it is uh, you can't boast about it. You can't boast about getting uh, this answer right. Uh, I... Uh, 
have to give God credit for everything he gives to me. And uh, that includes in it uh, my, my intellect. If I am uh, able to get an A in a class, uh, some of it is due to perhaps uh, hard work and study. Not necessarily. You could actually get A's in classes without hard work and study. Um, but some of it is, is uh, an aptitude that you were born with. There are people uh, in this world that can study and study and study and study, and they will not get an A uh, in a class. They have to consider that, uh, they, that it's something that ultimately God gives the ability to do that well. How much more when it comes to this answer? Jesus says to Peter, it's not flesh and blood. You know, Peter, it's not how smart you are. Uh, you can't take credit for knowing and recognizing who I am. Uh, you have to give credit to God. You're blessed because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I, I've shared my uh, testimony a number of times, but uh, I, I thought I was smart and uh, that I can use my intellect to figure out uh, what the Bible said and understand uh, what it was that uh, Christians believed. And uh, God kind of allowed me to run into a wall where I just could not understand the passage at all. And it was when I gave up on understanding the passage, it was like God turned on the switch in my brain to understand the gospel, the fact that uh, Jesus uh, took upon himself the penalty for my sin and uh, was giving me the option to trust in him for my salvation. I don't know if that was your experience. Everybody has a different set of experiences that bring them to God. But as we study those, as we uh, review our lives and see what it is that brought us to God, we, we recognize that it was really his doing. He was the one who drew us along and uh, opened our minds to the truth of the gospel. So we cannot take credit for being an A student or getting this answer right. Uh, the second blessing in verse 18, he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter. You are Peter. Uh, the word Peter means a stone or a rock. And... Uh, to me, it speaks of the fact that uh, if you are an A student or if you have the right answer, uh, you have to be prepared to face opposition. You have to be ready to face opposition. I was not always well-liked uh, in school for uh, being smart and uh, getting, getting good grades. Sometime in my math class in uh, high school, my senior year, the teacher would use the highest score to set the curve. So instead of being graded out of 100, you'd be graded out of 100% of what the highest score was in the class. So once I got a 91, and that time that was the highest score in the class. So I set the curve. So if you're a person who got 70, then because I got 91, it put you at a lower grade than let's say if I got 80, and I was the highest score in the class, right? Uh, and, and people just don't like all these students that are doing better than them, right? It's just the reality of life that uh, 
we are, uh, we all want to think of ourselves as the best, and when there's somebody who's doing better than us, we often don't like it. Uh, there's a truth for that in the gospel. Uh, when, when you know uh, the truth, when you uh, believe in Christ, uh, you'll come across opposition. The world rejects Christ. They don't accept him for who he says he is. And uh, so you will run into opposition. And uh, it requires a Peter often to stand in the midst of the crowd and confess Christ. And uh, we see him doing it in the book of Acts. He, he stood up and he, he preached Christ to the multitudes at the temple and many got saved. Uh, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't uh, an easy thing for Peter to do. Now, praise the Lord that this is uh, something that Jesus uh, helped him in, right? We see Peter's character often uh, vacillating in the Gospels, as we will see really in the next passage next week. Uh, one moment he is riding high, and the next one he, he sinks low. But uh, part of uh, sticking with the right answer of who Jesus is is expect opposition, expect hostility uh, in the world. We don't live in a world that accepts the truth as to who Jesus is. And uh, if you stick with that answer, you could expect opposition. The third privilege of being an A student or getting this answer right, uh, Peter says, sorry, Jesus says, just to finish verse 18, uh, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, I said this here, with great power comes great responsibility. I recognize that's uh, plagiarism, but uh, it's, uh, it's true also when you're a good student, sometimes the teachers will expect you to help other students. My Algebra two teacher in high school, would uh, he didn't like teaching. So he was trying to get the uh, students to take some of the, the uh, burden of teaching. And after giving, I don't know, maybe a five-minute explanation of, of how to, to solve the problem of the day or the problems of the day, whatever was new in the class, he would break the, uh, the, the classroom into groups. And uh, he told them to work as groups together to start working on the homework that was going to be due the following day. And the idea was that the students who were doing better in, in Algebra 2 would help the students that were not doing as well. And so instead of a stream of students coming to the teacher with questions, they could ask the questions of other people in the group. And he made sure that every group had at least one A student. So at least one person in the group should know the answers. And uh, there's a truth for that. For us here, if we know the answer, God wants us to share the answer uh, with others. And that's what Jesus is talking about here uh, when he's talking about building his church. Now, we want to recognize a few things here because this verse was 
also, as I said, taken by the Catholic Church to mean something else. Peter is not the rock that Jesus is building uh, the church on. The word Peter means a rock or a stone, as in a single rock or a single stone. Uh, the, the word rock uh, used in the verse is actually speaking about a, uh, like a big granite rock, like a cliff, right, or a bastion. Uh, think of half dome in Yosemite, right? That's a rock. And uh, that's the difference between Peter would be like a, a rock or a stone you'd pick up from a stream in Yosemite. And then you look at Yosemite, that rock is what Jesus is talking about when he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Not Peter, but the rock really is Jesus himself, who he is. He is our Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. That is what the church of God is founded on, not on Peter. Besides for being founded on who Jesus is, it's founded on what Jesus did. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose from the dead. And our salvation is based on that work that Jesus did. Besides for who Jesus is and what Jesus did, the church is based on what Jesus does today. Jesus says, I will build my church. It's the work of Jesus then, and it's the work of Jesus today. There's a verse in uh, Colossians chapter 2 that made me think uh, about uh, an illustration. Colossians 2 verse 18, <clears throat> Paul says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom they from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. The head that this verse is talking about is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. And in this passage, it talks about the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Now, I have to confess, I don't really understand the biology of this, uh, and I'm not sure if anyone really does, but uh, after uh, a baby is conceived in the womb, the baby starts to grow. It starts with one cell, it becomes two, it becomes four, it becomes eight, but an amazing thing happens the cells don't all remain the same. Each cell develops its own different property, and it becomes a human body. After nine months, a fully formed baby will be born, and that fully formed baby <coughs> is, will grow and, and become a fully grown man. How does it happen? How does the growth happen? Well, in this verse, it attributes it to the head, right? from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. As God grows the human body, he also grows the church of God. But the head, the thing that directs the growth, is the Lord Jesus himself. And uh, 
And I don't know how he does it. Again, it's this mystery. I can, I can point to my own life and I can see the ways Jesus was working in my life to draw me to himself. But he had a different way to draw you to himself as he was building his church. Now, somewhere along the line, almost invariably, you had somebody share the gospel with you. And that is the role <clears throat> that God was assigning Peter and he's assigning to all of us, he will build his church and the gates of hate shall not prevail against it, but he will give the keys of the kingdom to Peter and to you and to me, and whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, I believe is really speaking about the work of the gospel. Somebody shared with me the gospel, and God used that to bring along my understanding of who Jesus is. So we have, as a student, as people who got the answer right, we have the opportunity to share it with others. In Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So I share the gospel with a person, and it is God's power to save people through the gospel message. Now, just so we're not skipping any verses in this passage, verse 20 often uh, brings a question mark to our head. <clears throat> it says, Then he, Jesus, commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. What? <laughs> Wait a second. Why shouldn't we tell people that Jesus is the Christ? And the answer for that, again, has to do with the timing, as I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, Jesus did present himself as Israel's Messiah up to this point, and Israel has rejected him. And now he turned his face, and he was headed to the, to the cross. So it's not that there won't be any more people who could come to Christ during this period of time, but it will be more limited. Uh, people will, in a sense, have to be inquiring to make an effort to find out. Now, all of that was going to change after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. Then Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples and say, now go tell everybody why. Why the change? And the answer for that is uh, Jesus was waiting for the full gospel to be ready to be shared. It's true, even at that point, Peter could understand that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, but Peter did not understand the cross. And because he didn't understand the cross, he didn't understand about the resurrection. He did not have a full gospel to share yet. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. And when I believed that Jesus died for my sins, I was saved. But Peter and John and the other disciples could not preach that message yet because it hasn't happened yet. And so Jesus said, don't tell anybody, right? Knowing that it was probably just a period of weeks or maybe months. I'm not sure exactly how, how long it was. And again, the door wasn't completely closed. We will see some people are still seeking Jesus during that time. And they will be saved. But it was uh, a period of time during which the disciples needed to bide their time and wait for the full gospel to be ready to be shared. Okay, what applications can we take from the passage? So the first one, obviously, is, did you get the answer right? When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? If not, then it's obviously something for you to consider. Uh, and related to that, it's possible to get the answer right intellectually, but not... Uh, not have it in your heart. Don't miss heaven by six inches, meaning you have the right answer here, but not here. Second, uh, there is a privilege here. As I said, Jesus is still building his church. He is still working in the lives of people around us. There's a verse in 1 Peter 3.15 Peter says to, uh, to his, uh, the people he wrote this letter to, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We don't know how God is working in the lives of people around us. Uh, we've been praying for Marika, for her, uh, her baby. Uh, as, as some of you know, she is, uh, I could be wrong, but I think maybe the 24th week of pregnancy. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, her uh, sack broke. Where the baby, I just described the process of how of God starts with one cell and he, he grows <coughs> a complete human being inside of the womb. Well, in her case, about halfway through, uh, the sac broke, the sac that creates that environment or maintains the environment for the baby to grow and develop uh, in a healthy manner was, it was broken. And, uh, and so the safety of the child inside of her is at great risk. And uh, she was uh, finally admitted to the hospital I think uh, on Monday or earlier this week. <clears throat> so the doctors could try to monitor the situation, keep her on antibiotics, do whatever they can to try to preserve the life of this baby. And uh, Joanna called me this morning, and she mentioned that uh, Mariko had five doctors with her. Five doctors you know, came to look into the case. They were with her in the room. And... They wanted to know, why are you doing this? You know, why, why should we not terminate this pregnancy? This is not going well. 
uh, it's uh, maybe in our eyes a desperate case, why shouldn't we just give up and, and let the baby die? And I don't know the exact words that she did, but Mariko is a believer uh, in the Lord Jesus, and it was an opportunity for a testimony. She says, well, I trust God. And, uh, and the Lord, uh, as he works in the lives of people around us, uh, he will direct them to us. There may be something in our lives, as it says, uh, that will cause them to ask us a question. Maybe a trial. I think of Don, and as he's been uh, suffering during his treatment, and he, and he goes to, uh, to the hospital, and he shares with them that he's memorizing Psalm 34. And uh, it gives him an opportunity to share uh, the reason for the hope that is in him. The reason for the hope that is in him is Jesus. And uh, same in Mariko's case, and same for you and for me. We have a reason for the hope that is in us. Sometimes it's not obvious until we're going through a crisis, until we're going through a trial, and maybe that's when our hope shows up and people will ask, ask for a reason that is in it. So sanctify, as Peter tells us, the Lord God in our hearts <clears throat> so that we will be ready with an answer when somebody comes and asks us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you uh, sanctified him to be our Savior, and thank you that you gave him as your own son uh, to be our Savior, knowing that anyone less than qualified than he could not have done uh, the job. Lord, we recognize this is a, a world that's often hostile to your son, hostile to the gospel uh, message, and yet it was your desire, it is your desire to save the lost. And you've given us the opportunity to be involved in that work by giving a reason for the hope that is in us. Lord, help us sanctify you in our hearts that we're always ready to give an answer to those who ask us. For we ask it in your name. Amen.